Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! So this week we are uh, kicking off our new series. We've got four weeks left in the Man Challenge semester, which is crazy. We just finished up a series in the book of Judges talking about Gideon and looking at the parallels between his life and, and our life and our society today and the way that God is the same God working uh, for the Israelites and delivering them. He's the same God delivering us today. Uh, But now we are going to jump back into the New Testament. We're going to be in the Gospels. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark uh, for the next four weeks. And we are starting a series called Lessons with the Least of These. And we're going to be looking at how Jesus interacts with a variety of different people groups uh, that society tends to marginalize or cast out. And as we uh, study how he interacts with those people groups, one, it's just going to show us how we as followers of Jesus should also interact with and engage with those people groups. But then it's also going to remind us of Jesus's heart for uh, people that are forgotten or abandoned. And so then remembering Jesus's own heart for us. So I'm really excited for this series. Like I said, we're going to be uh, talking about a time where Jesus interacts with a sick person today and being reminded of uh, his heart for sick people today. And teaching on that is Sam Reader. So Sam Reader, you can come on out. And we should applaud because that was some awkward silence there. So Sam, you've taught here before. A couple times. A couple times. Uh, Sam is a pharmacist, so that's why we brought him in to talk about uh, Jesus' heart for sick people. You spend so much time with sick people. That's exactly right. That's right. Uh, So Sam's taught here before, and instead of uh, interviewing him the way that we do with uh, man challenge teachers, because Ronnie was supposed to MC today, he kind of had a a different plan in mind. He reached out to uh, Sam's wife uh, and really just asked two pretty simple questions. He asked, hey, can you talk to your kids and figure out what their favorite thing is about their dad? Oh, great. Uh, I'm going to cry. Holy yeah, stars. I think you will because I almost cried when I was reading this. Oh, great. But, uh, and then also asked his <laughs> wife, how have you seen Jesus transforming Sam? Holy uh, smokes. So we just want to make Sam sob and then try and uh, teach afterwards. Hey, but uh, here is what Sam's wife ended up saying. Uh, so talking, actually tell us about your family real quick so they have some context. Uh, my wife Jessica is also a pharmacist. Uh, we've been married for eight years. We have two boys. Elijah is about three and a half. Uh, Noah is, will be two in December. Sweet. So we have two little boys who destroy everything. And it's awesome, but it is crazy. Yep. So yeah, it's yep. beautiful. So yeah. when... Uh, <laughs> When Eli was asked, what's your favorite thing about your dad? He said, tickling me, (laughs) which is, I I just like that. And then uh, your wife said, if I had to guess, Noah would probably say his favorite thing about dad is Buzz Lightyear. I think I need to understand what that means. I'm not going to. He flies, I fly to infinity and beyond, basically. That's all you're going to get. We can't do that together right now. Pick him up, we go. Yeah. How do you fly? I just put my arms out, man. We pretend. Okay, That's what you okay. do with kids. Just 
fake it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then your wife said, and I would say I have definitely seen him transform in being slow to speak, mm. quick to listen, and quick to serve. I'm the first to admit I have bouts of anxiety with specific triggers, and Sam has been become incredibly receptive to those triggers and is quick to serve me by doing research or gathering any information that could potentially bring me out of an anxious state. One, that doesn't surprise me at all that you <laughs> start researching things as soon as there's an issue, and I love that. Uh, she says, it's very easy for someone who doesn't experience anxiety, like Sam, to quickly lose patience due to not understanding, but he has really grown to be quick to listen to my concerns, slow to speak, and quick to have grace and patience for me in those moments. Mm. And then she says, I don't think that growth would have been possible without the guidance of scripture and the example of Jesus because he is the epitome of patience, strength, and grace in our weakness. Um, and so this morning, Sam's going to be teaching, and Sam is not just a uh, good teacher. Um, he's also a wise leader in men's ministry, but even more than that, more practically maybe, he is a good dad. Uh, and a good husband, too. Uh, and so that's the man who's going to be teaching for us this morning. I'm excited uh, to learn from him and to be drawn closer to Jesus uh, by God's work through him. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, I am uh, just grateful for Sam. I'm thankful uh, that you've uh, placed a brother like him in my life for this season. I'm grateful that you have um, really just... Um, brought Sam into the situation that he's in right now, uh, even onto this stage. Uh, I pray um, that as he opens up your word this morning, that you would help him to teach it faithfully with confidence, not in his, his own ability, uh, but in your power to work through him. Um, and I pray that your word would uh, not fall on um, hard soil, God, but it would fall on soft hearts, that uh, it would take root um, in our hearts and bring about transformation and change that, that each one of us would become uh, slow to speak, slow to get angry, uh, and quick to listen. God, I pray that you would uh, just be doing your work in this room this morning and that you would be glorified as uh, we learn more about your heart, Jesus. We love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Tickles me. What a thing to say. Uh, good morning, guys good to be with you. Uh, we are going to be asking this week the question, how did Jesus interact with the sick? And just before we even get into it, just to be uh, totally transparent, the best way to do this would be take a highlighter and just go through all the Gospels and take note of that. Like go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and highlight everywhere you see Jesus interacting, talking, uh, living with sick folks. I personally, in my quiet time, if I don't have something I'm focused on or looking for or striving after, it's easy for me to get distracted and to lose zeal. So maybe if you're looking for uh, something to kickstart your quiet time or maybe something to do in the off-season between semesters, that would be a great thing to do. Just go through and highlight and look for anywhere Jesus interacted with the sick. Uh, for our purposes in the series and here, we're going to look at one example of each of these people groups each week. So we're going to grab something, and we're going to zoom in on it. So today we'll be in Mark chapter 1. If you'll go ahead and open up your Bibles to that. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 40. And just a real quick uh, Bible literacy tip. It can be super dangerous to grab a story, pull it out of its context, and study it in a vacuum. 
Like it, it would be very, very possible to completely miss the point the author of that passage was trying to convey. So we always want to be faithful to look at the context in which that passage sits. So we're going to start in verse 40, but I need to kind of quickly catch you up on what leads up to that event. And really it's wise to even look right on the other side of it. So Mark's gospel opens in just rapid fire format. Uh, if yours has headings, it's real easy to see this. Uh, that John the Baptist is preaching repentance, baptizing people. Jesus shows up, gets baptized. He goes out into the wilderness and is tempted. He starts his ministry. He calls the first disciples. It is like bam, 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 floating. But then it kind of slows down and Mark gives us some stories of where Jesus interacts with some folks. Starting in verse 21, we see a story where Jesus is teaching in a synagogue and a temple in Capernaum. And this demon-possessed man comes to him and Jesus casts the demon out. And very quickly, the people take note and they're like, man, this guy has authority over the supernatural, over the spiritual problems around us. And then the very next story Mark gives us, Jesus goes to Peter's in-law's house and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Jesus heals her. And again, people take note and they're like, man, he, he has authority over the physical problems, over the natural problems around us. Like, who, who is this guy? And so then it essentially says that everybody comes to Jesus and everybody gets healed and gets their demons cast out in that town. And then the next major story is where we'll be today, where Jesus interacts with and heals a leper. And then immediately on the other side, going into chapter 2, is a real famous passage where some guys bring their buddy to a home that is just packed out. They cut a hole in the roof. They lower their buddy down. Jesus sees it, marvels at their faith, and basically says, Son, your sins are forgiven. And there's some real religious guys sitting around thinking, I know this guy has power and authority, but only God can forgive sin. Who does this guy think he is? Jesus perceives this, and he says, So that you know I have a power on this earth, I have authority to forgive his sin, watch what I'm about to do. Like, what is easier, to tell this guy, get up and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? But so that you know I have the power to forgive the sins, hey, get up and walk. And the dude stands up. Place just erupts. So very, very quickly, Mark, in his opening of his gospel, which is just a written recording of the life and ministry of Jesus, Mark is establishing Jesus has power over the physical and the spiritual. But his main objective is to come to fix the ultimate problem, namely sin. There's a few ways you could frame this. You could say there's an upper story and there is a lower story. That it, there is a vertical problem between God and man, namely sin, but then there's also all these horizontal problems in our day-to-day -day lives. And Jesus goes around and steps into those problems and he says one of the main reasons he does it, not the only, but one of the main reasons, is to establish that he has the authority to fix the ultimate problem, the eternal problem. So for us to study this, we need to also have what's called a biblical worldview. Like, according to the Bible, the reason there were all those horizontal problems for Jesus to step into was because of the vertical. I'm not, let me be clear, I'm not saying Peter's mother-in-law had a fever because she was a sinner. I'm saying the reason there's any type of sickness or even death in this world is because of sin. Like, according to the Bible, prior to Genesis 3, man was meant to live forever with God. And sin, when it entered the equation, when man disobeyed God, it fractured everything. It affected everything. It infected everything. Like the, the reason there are tsunamis, the reason there is cancer, the reason our, our great dogs die, 
is because of the fall. Is because sin and death entered the equation. It affected everything. And so the reason we take so much time to set that up is there's this constant tension of this upper story and this lower story as we go to our text today that we have to keep in mind. Because the topic of sickness, and as we're going to see, Jesus heals this man. That is such an emotionally charged topic because it, hit it hits home for every single one of us in so many powerful ways. So if we're going to study how Jesus interacts with the sick, we also have to have a view of the world that the Bible describes. So that's our setup, and we're going to start in verse 40 of Mark chapter 1. So read with me. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See, you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So our passage opens with, a leper comes to Jesus. And maybe your Bible, like mine, has a footnote next to that word leper that essentially says this was like a catch-all term for all sorts of skin conditions. But this man, a leper, if you were in that category, whatever it technically was, modern-day leprosy, formerly Hansen's disease, is a bad mamma like it rashes and boils all over your body, that eventually limbs start to lose function. Often they'll go blind. It is a slow, gradual, ultimate death a lot of times. For a long time, that's how it was. Modern day, we have a lot of treatments. But for a leper, they were oftentimes outcast and put on the outskirts of town. They would set up a community and they would say, okay, you're sick, go there, either until you get better or until you die. That was the outlook. Like, we think social distancing is bad. If you, had a, if you were a leper, if, you were, if, it, if it was windy outside and you were within, like, 30 yards of somebody, you couldn't get any closer. Like, that was the rule. Like, if, if you were a leper, it was bad. If you were a Jewish leper, there was all types of specific regulations that you were expected to follow. So if you've ever tried to do the read the Bible in a year plan or one of those you probably know what Leviticus is because we all get hung up in Leviticus. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that is a book that's full of these, these laws and regulations from the Old Testament. And uh, if you jump to chapter 13 and following, there's a whole list of basically rules on how the community is supposed to handle leprosy. And so there's things like if you get within 50 yards of someone and you have leprosy, you have to scream, unclean, unclean, don't come near me. Like, you have to let your hair grow long and rip your clothes. We think wearing a mask is bad. Man, lepers had it rough. And not only were they removed socially from their community, but again, as a Jew, your, your religious beliefs were interwoven with your ethnic identity. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't practice your religion. You would just walk around avoiding people with these skin rashes, waiting to see if you were going to die. They, they were called the walking dead. <laughs> they were called the living dead. And so this man, this leper, in Luke's account, he describes him as being covered head to toe, essentially. Luke was a physician. Whatever this guy had, he was eat up. And he approaches Jesus. He's unclean. He's been 
cast aside and shunned the scaly person. And he comes to Jesus, it says, imploring and kneeling. That was his posture. No one carried him there. He came of his own volition to Jesus. I think that's worth noting in this room because we're men. And as men, we do not like to admit we have a problem. We do not like to ask for help. And we definitely don't like to go to the doctor. Like There is so much data to support those claims, at least in our culture especially. It is outrageous. Uh, up in Cleveland, Ohio, at the Cleveland Clinic, they've been studying this for a number of years. Like, Why are men so bad at asking for help and going to the doctor? Some of the really good data is from 2019. After that, a lot of it goes virtual, so apparently we're a little bit better at that. But if you look at the 2019 data from their, their campaign on this, they, they, they interviewed a lot of like first responders, paramedics, firefighters, who would tell stories about getting a call, and they would go to a person's home, and a guy's mid-heart attack, and they're like, hey, buddy, let's get in the ambulance and go to the hospital. And he's like, I got it, man. You're good. Go on. Like, we're, we're so dang stubborn. And they would have to get a family member on the phone and be like, Terrence, get in the ambulance and go. You're having a heart attack. Like, come on. You're not that tough. They polled a bunch of men. 72% of men that they polled said they would rather do household chores, including scrubbing toilets, than go to the doctor. 37%, more than a third, 37% said that when they do go to the doctor, they, they don't tell the full truth. They withhold information out of fear they're going to get a bad diagnosis. Like men are bad at asking for help, admitting there's a problem, and going to the doctor. They've tried, they've had, they've brought in sociologists and different people to try to, psychologists try to understand, like, what is the problem? And they found a number of reasons. A couple that stood out to me, one I've already kind of alluded to is fear, fear of a bad diagnosis. Another one is what they called superhero complex, that we, we see it as a sign of weakness. That if I have to go to the doctor, you know, Jim Bob walked into a heart attack or walked into the, the factory the next day after his heart attack. That's a real man. Like, I should be able to tough it out too. And another one that they, they pointed to was societal conditioning to resist vulnerability. That's something we combat heavily in this room on a weekly basis. Whatever the reason, men in general do not like to admit there's a problem. We don't like to ask for help. Yet, we see this leper, this man of his own volition, comes to Jesus, bowing, imploring, kneeling. Let me just say this real quick. I think our posture and how we bring things to the Lord, whether it's illness or otherwise, I think our posture directly impacts how we receive his response. I don't think it determines his response, but I think our posture and how we go to the Lord directly impacts how we receive his response. So that was the man's posture. Let's also look at his profession, or maybe even you could say his prayer. He's talking to Jesus. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. He looks at Jesus. He doesn't say, will you go talk to God for me? No, he says to Jesus, I know you can do it. I know you can make me clean. What does that maybe say that he thought about who Jesus was? And also notice, he didn't assume it was Jesus' will to be healed. He simply says with open hands, if it is your will, I know you can do it. Jesus doesn't rebuke him and say, you're going to need more faith than that. You're going to bring that to me. That's not what we see. In, in Matthew's account of the story, we studied the Sermon on the Mount in great detail here last semester. 
the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. It's what your will is, not mine. Your will be done. Immediately after the Sermon on the Mount and Matthew's account follows this story. So we see this man who comes to Jesus humbly submitting, saying, I know you're able. Is it your will? And so here's our first question. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Here's our first question to unpack at tables. Do you take your sickness rightly to God? Do you take your sickness rightly to God? Maybe you don't take it at all, and that is certainly worth talking about. There's probably a lot of reasons for that. You're jaded. You've seen so much suffering and not enough good that what's the point of taking it to him? Maybe you think he doesn't care. Maybe you think he isn't able. If you don't take it at all, please talk about that. Like, be honest. Let's just unpack that. If you do take your sickness specifically to the Lord, what's your, what's your posture like when you do that? What's your prayer, your profession like when you do that? In comparison to what we see from this leper, what does that look like for you? So moving on, verse 40, it says that Jesus is moved with pity. He stretches out his hand, touches the man, and says, I will be clean. Maybe your translation instead of pity says compassion. I think that's a much better English word for what that original word is trying to convey. Pity for me feels a lot like, man, poor guy, that must suck. And compassion feels more like, I actually care. And that, and that original word carries this idea of like feeling it down in your guts. It's not surface level. It is a deep feeling, compassion. Jesus is moved with compassion, fills it in his guts. And I'll be honest, as I've prepared for this this week, I've had to wrestle with, do I feel that when I see the suffering of those in front of me? Sometimes, if I'm honest. But Jesus is moved with compassion. There's, there's a pastor I have a lot of respect for in Oklahoma. His name is Sam Storms. Great name. Sam Storms. And he, he studied out the, the healing ministry of Jesus. And he concluded that he thinks that compassion was the primary motivator. Not the only one, but the primary motivator in Jesus' reason for stepping into the mess and healing folks. That if you, if you take that highlighter like we talked about and go through, you'll see again and again and again, Filled with compassion, he touched. Overcome with compassion, he spoke. Moved by compassion, he went. Jesus is marked by compassion. So that's his motive. But he doesn't just have the right motive. He also has it coupled with right behavior. He's moved with compassion and he touches the man. Like We, we tend to avoid sick people out of a sense of self-preservation. There's a lot of wisdom to that. But Jesus moves towards this man that everyone else moves away from. Jesus is the most powerful, most famous person around at this time. Masses of crowds follow him. And he is leaning in to the person that no one wants to be around. Right motives with right behavior. If you've heard of uh, the, the, the love language, Gary Chapman, the five love language book, if we were to do the love language test in this room, statistically, the vast majority of us, because we're men, would align with physical touch as being our love language. <laughs> like physical touch means a lot to men, especially, generally speaking. There's no telling how long this man, how long it had been since he had been touched in any way by anyone and he walks up to the most famous guy, most powerful guy around, 
and that man touches him. Uh, back in April, I mentioned I have two boys, my youngest Noah. Back in April, he was about a year and a half, and he had an ear infection for the umpteenth time and was on the same antibiotic he had been on many times. And uh, before we w- put him down to bed, we noticed kind of a weird, almost like a rash. It looked like mosquito bites. I have a picture of it. Uh, that before bed we noticed these kind of spots show up on him, and we were kind of like, what? what's going on here? It's kind of weird. But we put him to bed, and everything seemed okay. The next morning I went to get him up out of bed, in this next picture, uh, that's what he looked like the next morning, and we're like, holy smokes, what is going on? Uh, it's ironic now looking back, because my wife and I are both pharmacists. Turns out he was having an allergic reaction to his medicine. We didn't even consider that, which is ironic, Uh, because he had had it multiple times, and so I am, even me a pharmacist, WebMD, like scarlet fever, cellulitis, what is going on with my baby? Next picture, a few hours later, it spreads to his back, and the last picture, that evening, dude is eat up. And at the time, I I had no idea in the moment what was going on, and I didn't care. And the worse it got, the more I wanted to hold him. The worse it got, the more I begged God, take that off of him and put it on me. I don't care if my face looks like that forever. Make him clean. Like, I take it off of him. Give it to me. I just wanted to hold him and to touch him. I didn't care if it was contagious. I think that's a glimpse of what we see in Jesus here. So here's our second question to unpack at tables. What does this passage teach you about the character of God? Like in what we see here, what does this teach you, another way you could say it, about the heart of Christ? Scripture says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that he is the exact imprint and nature of God the Father. He said, if you see me, you see the Father. So if you see Jesus, you see God. What does this passage teach us about the character of God? Verse 42 says, and immediately the leprosy left him. Like that. Now Mark uses that word a whole lot in his gospel, about 40 times a little over, which is crazy condensed compared to any other book in the Bible. And part of that is stylistic. Like I said, he opens. He's excited to tell it. We went here, and then we went there, and then this happened, and that happened, and Jesus did this, and then he healed them, and then he healed them, and he's just excited. Part of that is stylistic. In the first chapter, I count, About 12 times that word is used here. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Part of that was that that's what made Jesus stand out. There was no questioning that he was the one, the source of these miracles. Because he couldn't argue with that. Immediately. This is a small tangent, but since we're on this topic, it's, I think, worth noting. Although that was what you could say is normative, it was normal behavior in the healing ministry of Jesus for it to be instantaneous, that wasn't always the case. Like if you, if you jump ahead to Mark chapter 8, there's a blind man that Jesus heals and is very much a partial healing and a gradual process. It's not instantaneous. Not every time. And the reason I, I think we need to note that is because it's, it's not formulaic. I want it to be, if I'm honest. I want to know if I do this, this, and this, I get this result. If I, if I pray the right prayer, if I hold my mouth just right, and if I don't sin for 24 hours, I'll get healing. I'll get a yes. We want it to be formulaic, I think, because we want control. I want control. We want to be God. But again, this leper 
gives us the, the image and the example of humility and submission that he comes open-handed to Jesus, kneeling, asking, imploring. Also notice it says made clean. It doesn't say he was healed. It says he was made clean. There's a number of, of lepers who were healed in Scripture. There's even a couple in the Old Testament. Not every time, but almost every time, instead of saying they were healed, it says they were made clean. If we go back to that book I mentioned, Leviticus, in chapter 10, it basically tells us that the role of the priest, one of the main functions was to differentiate between clean and unclean, between holy and common. Like God is holy. He's, there's nothing common about God. He is holy. He is set apart. So he calls his people as representatives of him, to be holy and to be set apart. And it was the role of the priest to determine if you were clean or not. And Jesus declares this man clean. What does that say about his role, his function, his office? Immediately he's healed, the leprosy leaves him, he was made clean. Verse 43, Jesus says to the man, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But instead, the man goes out and begins to tell everybody about it and spread news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Again, I had mentioned it can be dangerous to take a passage out of its context and study it. Here's a great example. Almost every time people get on stage, they say, go tell people about Jesus. And then we read a story where Jesus says, don't tell anybody about me. And you're like, what is going on here? Like, who do I believe? We have to remember the context in which it sits. We've talked about this before, so I'll be super brief. There's a number of reasons for this, many of which are very practical. Uh, timing was everything with Jesus. His life, his death, his burial, his resurrection coincided with the Jewish calendar, the Passover. So timing was a big thing. Another thing was Rome occupied the territory. So if they heard there was this new kingdom starting up within theirs, they would send a bunch of soldiers down to basically kill everybody in that movement. Practically speaking, that's not real helpful for Jesus and his cause. But I, I think maybe this is the biggest one that Mark is trying to make us aware of, is that word spreads that this healer is in town. So everybody starts coming in, and it gets so swamped. There's so much paparazzi. There's so much press. You can't even have a conversation with people. Jesus has to go out to desolate places. In the story before this, it says he had to go out to a desolate place just to find some quiet to pray. Now he can't even meet with anybody in a town because the masses come in so quickly. So that's sometimes referred to, again, as the messianic secret. But if we keep it in its context, there's a lot of just sensibility to this. So Jesus says, go to the priest don't tell anybody. Go to the priest and make this offering. This is the last time I'll point you back to Leviticus. But again, in that passage in Leviticus talking about how to deal with leprosy, once you got well, by a stroke of luck, maybe God had favor on you, whatever, once you got well, you then had to go to the priest and make these sacrifices and follow this process, and then they would reintegrate you, they'd reassimilate you back into society. You could start going to the temple again, you could have your life back. Those were the last steps of the process. So Jesus heals this man. He steps in. He touches him. He has compassion. He heals him. He declares him clean. Then he says, you can have your life back. Just go do this last step. And you can go see your family again. You, you can go back to normal life. You could work. You could go to the temple. That's all you have to do. Jesus offers him his life back. 
And notice what the man's immediate response is. Disobedience. We might try to like cut him some slack and say, dude just got healed, sharing his testimony. That's what we're supposed to do. He was excited. Jesus explicitly said, go to the temple, don't tell anybody. Brother didn't go to the temple and he told everybody. The exact opposite of what Jesus said go and do. Maybe I have a heightened sense of awareness to this because I knew I was going to teach on this topic for a little while. Or maybe I really am in a season where I'm just hearing a lot more bad news. Maybe it's a bit of both. But I feel like I've heard a lot of bad news in the past weeks and months. And I, I, I instinctually do this thing where I run to the Lord when I hear this poor prognosis, this slow decline of someone's health, this doctor's assessment that it's a bleak outlook. I run to the Lord and I have this kind of negotiation deal where I'm like, okay, God, it's, it's the Red Sea. Their backs are against the wall. No one believes there's a way out. This is your moment. Like, this is it. God, if you'll just heal them, if you will step in instantaneously, if you'll just heal them, they'll know it was you. They'll have to. And they'll believe in you. Their family will come to faith in Christ. Their kids, their neighbors, their co-workers. Probably the doctors and nurses who help take care of them. It'll spark mass revival in our city. Like, this is it, God. I see it. You just got to get on my team. Like, I, I, I can see it. It's real plain and simple. Just step in and heal. And everybody will come to faith. And what we see in this passage, and in many others, and my own experience bears this out, that healing doesn't necessitate holiness. Like health doesn't always lead to obedience. Certainly sometimes it does, and praise God when it does, but it, Scripture doesn't support that kind of line of thinking. I am a go, 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 work, work, work kind of guy, and if I'm honest, usually the only times I stop is when I'm sick. <laughs> I have to. It's usually not until then that I recognize there is a problem outside of my ability to fix, solve, or correct. It's not until my household is sick, that one of my little ones is sick and I can't fix it, that I recognize, oh yeah, the Bible told me this whole world is broken. It is fractured. Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. Have you ever seen a woman deliver a baby? the pains of childbirth, the whole of creation feels that. And Paul says, not only the creation, we ourselves, even we who have the Spirit of God in us, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It is broken all around us, and we groan and wait for the Lord to return and to fix it wholly forever. If you study leprosy at all, uh, you're going to come across the name of Dr. Paul Brand. He and his wife, Margaret, uh, who is also a physician, uh, dedicated their lives to serving lepers in India. He was an orthopedic, so he would later do some of the first tendon repair uh, and later limb repair. His wife worked on those who had gone blind. And like I said, it was believed that their, their fingers, their limbs would fall off and that it was highly contagious. Turns out it's not really that contagious. It's hard to catch. Uh, and what Dr. Brand discovered was that really leprosy causes neuropathy. It causes nerve pain, nerve damage. 
and he witnessed lepers who were begging on the streets for scraps, he would see rats eating off their fingers and they couldn't feel it. And so when he was able to later do tendon repair and to give some of these people their ability to feel and senses back, he, he concluded in reflection, for a lot of my patients, the greatest gift I can give them is truly the gift nobody wants. It's the gift of pain. If they could feel the problem, if they could be made aware of it, they could remove themselves from it. They could do something about it. They could ask for help. They could go to a doctor. And he said, sometimes the greatest gift I could give them was the gift of pain. And I know for me, oftentimes, I am horrible at resting, at abiding, at having Sabbath because I think I'm in control. And it's often not until I experience pain that I recognize this biblical worldview that the world is fractured. fractured. It's broken. And that can sound heavy, but we're going to get real practical here. Much like leprosy, sin makes us numb. It can make us blind to the world around us, to the situation around us, to the fallen state of the world, to our fallen state that we're born into. But there are things that the Lord sovereignly uses, doesn't put on you, but uses to open our eyes to that reality in order that we may go to Him and ask for help. Lord, are, are you willing? I know you're able. So catch this in that passage. When the man goes and tells everybody what Jesus had done from him, basically it says people came from every direction. Which tells me everybody was hurting, everybody was broken, everybody knew somebody who was sick, and they all wanted to come to Jesus. They all needed his help. I think the same is true today. So here's where we get real practical. If you have one of these bad boys, you'll see this week our man challenge for the week is prioritize a sick person. Like we all know somebody who's sick, prioritize a sick person. Today, this week, step into their horizontal immediate suffering, step into their life and try to meet their needs. If they're quarantining and you can't be with them, be creative. Have a meal delivered, FaceTime them, write them a letter. If you can, go and meet with them. If you can, by their permission, put your hands on them and pray for them in the name of Jesus that they might be healed. We should be moved with compassion by the suffering around us and we should couple compassion with action and we should step in. If you don't feel that compassion while you act, pray that the Lord would grow those feelings, those affections within you. He'll do it. When we live that way, when we live in a, a manner that is right motives coupled with right behavior, we look a lot like Jesus. And everybody is hurting. And so if we will step in in that way faithfully, for those who don't yet know him, we may very well win the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus, the great physician, the only one who can make them clean. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your heart for the least of these. Thank you for those that society avoids. You step forward. You step in. Thank you that you put on flesh and you dwelt with us. Thank you that you care. Thank you for your heart that you reveal to us through this word. God, for the men in this room who don't yet know you, I pray that they would see you, they would see your heart in this passage, and they would be moved by it, God. For the men who do know you, I pray that we would be convicted and challenged to live in a manner 
worthy of the calling that you've put on us. I pray, God, that as we step into the lives, the messes, the suffering, the pain that we see around us, I pray that, Lord, we would be image bearers for you, that we would be a blessing to those around us. And, Father, I pray that it would bring glory to your name in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 